Welcome to another episode of the Digiday Podcast. I'm Kaylee Barber, Senior Reporter at Digiday. And I'm Tim Peterson, Senior Media Editor at Digiday. This week, we are in the second week of a four-part series called The Modern Newsroom Leader, where Tim and I are talking to top editors at a variety of publications from around the industry about their new roles and and coming into the role of Editor-in-Chief or Executive Editor um, at a time when there's a lot of kind of nuanced challenges um, impacting the industry. And uh, this week, Tim had the interview. He spoke with Maria Reeve, who is the executive editor of the Houston Chronicle. Tim, I am very curious because Maria Reeve, she's the first person of color to oversee the Houston Chronicle's newsroom, which is significant in and of itself. But I'm curious if, you know, harking back to last week's episode when I spoke with Swathi Sharma and uh, Lindsay Peoples-Wagner from Vox Media, Swathi had mentioned that one of her driving goals is just to really focus on um, not just diversity in the newsroom, but covering as many diverse um, voices as possible uh, for the audiences that she's, you know, working with uh, and covering. So I'm curious if Maria said anything about, you know, how impactful, you know, her her appointment was for the audience that she's writing for, um, considering this is a local newsroom. Yeah, she talks about how, like, not only is Houston obviously a major metropolitan area, but also how diverse that region is. Um, and so, therefore, it's, you know, readership. And, you know, we get into, like, you know, just the census stats alone, where 45% of the population there is Hispanic or Latino, 23% are Black, um, and then uh, 7% are Asian. And so, it's just, you know, you need to be. It particularly, like representation, obviously, is important for all newsrooms, but especially when you have such a local focus, like a publication like the Houston Chronicle, you also want to be as representative as you can of your readership, and so that's you know something that she's really um, prioritizing in her you know first couple of months as executive editor. She talks about you know creating a culture desk, for example, to really focus on covering underrepresented communities. Mm-hmm. And I guess like what else is she doing? Is she like focusing on hiring, for instance, to diversify the staff? Or is this more so a focus on the content and, and you know, branching out in the coverage areas itself? Yeah, I think the coverage areas is like the immediate focus because mm-hmm. that's just where you have the most opportunity. And, and plus, you know, you also want to be working with the staff that you have. I think she feels like they have a very strong newsroom at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she's also talks about how she's been doing this listening tour, which I think probably all of the editors that we're talking to for the series have been on as they've come into their positions. But how, you know, what's coming out of that listening tour is just um, the folks in her newsroom want to want more transparency and they want more to be more involved in the changes that are going on in the newsroom, both you know, in terms of internal organization um, as well as you know, coverage strategies. Awesome. Well, I will let you take it away with Maria. Thanks so much, Tim. Maria Reef, welcome to the Digiday Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So, Maria, you are the executive editor of the Houston Chronicle, and correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I hate to ask, you know, that of another reporter, but this is the first time that you've had a position in your professional career overseeing a newsroom. Is that right? That is correct. 
And you're also the first person of color to lead the newsroom at the Houston Chronicle. And so with that, I'm curious, like, when you first started out as a journalist, is this something that you aspired to, to not only be an editor-in-chief or executive editor to oversee a newsroom, but also to be the one to break that racial and ethnic barrier at an organization? You know, that honestly is not something I thought about when I became a journalist, when I entered the profession. I wanted to become a reporter because I liked finding out things. I liked talking to people. I liked writing. I liked breaking news. Um, but as I progressed through my career, it became an option. And And to be totally frank, just in the last several years did that become a goal for me. Um, like I said, I, I really like the, the process, the work of reporting and journalism. And as, as I became, uh, you know, a manager, I really liked the process of helping people do their work and, uh, discover their own goals and, and desires in that. And just in the last few years, did I begin to think about um, what would that look like for me to lead a newsroom? What would I bring to this? And so, honestly, when I started my career, it wasn't, it was not a thought. And with that, was that just a matter of having that experience managing, being more accustomed to it and thinking, okay, I would like to do more of this? Or was there something that happened along the way, any experience that you had where, it's a, where it kind of clicked for you? Um, I, I don't think there was a point at which I thought, I should go be an editor, uh, just in the progression of the roles I've had and the jobs I've had, um, leading a team of reporters and then leading a department and then being the, uh, one of the number twos here at the Chronicle. Uh, I think that progression just, uh, happened. And I, I thought that, you know, I have something to offer a newsroom and a company that, um, you know, where I could bring my skills to uh, help us progress, help us, you know, nowadays accelerate our uh, progress as a digital media company. Um, but I don't think it was just one moment where I had an aha. Uh, it was just getting getting these roles and these jobs, doing them, uh, and then figuring out what else could I do. Do you find any particular significance in being a person of color overseeing the newsroom at a local news publication where as much as you know the audience can be national and international, the core audience is local and you know therefore the diversity among that audience can be particularly more acute than a general national audience? Mm -hmm. I, I think that at this point in our country and the culture and what's going on with um, what happened with our uh, racial reckoning uh, around the George Floyd um, incident. I think it, it is a, an interesting time to be a person of color in these newsrooms, uh, mostly because of what what we bring, what, what our backgrounds are, what our lived experiences are that can help um, explain or um, figure out the kinds of stories we should be doing that maybe newsrooms hadn't before. Uh, as you probably know, Houston is the fourth largest uh, metro in the country and one of the most diverse places uh, in the nation. And so 
for me to have this opportunity to lead this newsroom um, at times feels uh, significant and overwhelming, but at times feels like right now is a perfect time for someone like me to uh, be in this role in Houston. Right. Yeah. I was looking at the census uh, numbers for Houston this morning and it was, if I remember correctly, I think it's 45% Hispanic or Latino, 22% black. And I want to say 11% Asian, if I'm not mistaken. So it's very much a melting pot there. Those sound right. And with like, so you've been really active when it comes to supporting, you know, black journalists. You're a member of National Association of Black Journalists. You were also the president of Twin Cities Black Journalists. But given your position now as executive editor, are you finding that there are ways in which you can um, enact change or facilitate change that's different than you could do um, outside of that position? I think part of that is is coming to the recognition of what does this afford me what does this position allow me to do now? And I am still wrapping my arms around what that means. Does that mean, um, and we have done this, that we make sure every job opening has finalists who are people of color? Uh, Does it mean that when we advertise for interns that we look locally, that we look at our uh, HBCUs that are in the Houston area? Uh, Does that mean that I can decide we need to create a culture desk, which we are doing, that focuses on communities and uh, places where we may not have been before. I think all of those things are um, are ways that, you know, when you say, oh, we have an editor or an executive who's a person of color, what does that look like? What is different about that? Um, I think what's different about that is is just the recognition that I bring, uh, having been in this industry for you know twenty five plus years, and what I've seen and what I've experienced and how I might like to make change around those areas. Are you finding that like other journalists of color in your newsroom are now bringing ideas or becoming more active in, in trying to find ways to similarly? enact those changes, whereas, you know, previously they may have not felt like they had that opportunity, but because they have someone who has a similar background to theirs, maybe there's more of an opportunity for them to present those ideas. To to the credit of this newsroom, some of that work was happening uh, before I assumed the editorship. Uh, when I was managing editor, we have a group called Unity, and we get together uh, every month and talk about either content or uh, policies or even there's a, a, a separate group that is our recruiting committee and we talk about the openings we have and where we're going to source. But, but I do think, and, and I heard this from some of the staff when, when I was named, that they, they were both proud and um, felt like there was representation for them. Uh, and so... I feel like there there are people, and like I said, they did this before. They can come to me with ideas or or suggestions for both how we do our work better and how we can improve the culture in the newsroom. 
you mentioned hearing from the journalists inside the newsroom uh, when your appointment was announced. I'm, I feel like as part of this editor um, series, I think what we're hearing a lot from is these kind of listening tours that the you know leaders are taking once they you know receive that appointment to make sure like okay, what's going on in the newsroom? What do I need to be aware of? And it feels like there could be a whole litany of topics that come up from that um, these days, just given. I mean, the past year and a half alone, let alone, and then this year. Um, with you, I'm assuming you, you know, embarked on one of these kinds of listening tours, but what came out of that? What were your biggest takeaways? I'm in the middle of it right now. Oh, it's still uh, going on. It's still going yeah. on. Where I was trying to do small groups, um, no more than 10 or so, just so people have a chance to really uh, say what they want to say, that we can have a dialogue uh, around these topics. But what I'm hearing from folks is um, they want us to be transparent. And I feel like we have been as a company. Um, they want some input on how we move forward. They want to know, you know, are we going to be, you know, wholesale changing anything? Everybody, you know, is worried when you have a new leader, what's this going to mean for me? Um, and they want to make sure that we are, are doing the things that we said we would do, which is that we're listening, um, we're open to ideas, we are trying to make sure that people feel like they have opportunity uh, and that they are, are engaged in a way that allows them to bring uh, their ideas forward and uh, help us, you know, move the company, help us improve uh, how we're serving the community and how we're delivering our content to people, either uh, online, uh, social media, uh, print, all of those things. Because I think people, you know, they're invested. They, this is their paper. Uh, I'm a, a steward of it, but this is their paper. And they want to see us be successful as possible. And I imagine there could be tension's not the right word, but it's the only word that's coming to mind at the moment. But um, kind of there's you know excitement slash anxiety around you get a new you know leader of a newsroom. Oh, things are going to change. This is going to be great. Like it's going to be kind of that next leap in the evolution of a publication. Then there's the anxiety side. Oh my God, what's going to change? Um, are things going to change for the better? But I think. Journalists generally feel like change is good, or I mean, if so much of what we cover is change, that we're at least exposed to it enough that it maybe isn't so scary. But what are some of the you know changes or evolutions that you're um, looking to bring about at the Houston Chronicle, or that you're hearing from the newsroom they're particularly uh, hoping for? I think that we, as a legacy print uh, company. We have got to accelerate our transformation into a digital media company. And what that means is everyone needs to come along uh, when we are talking about how do we deliver this information? Is it, you know, just narrative or we need to include uh, alternative ways of getting information to people? Uh, all of those things are things we are, are talking about. We have done those. Uh, I have a pretty good foundation uh, left for me uh, by the former editor and the uh, my partner who was also, we had two managing editors. Um, so I feel like we are building on uh, that momentum we started, but we, we have to accelerate it because we know people are coming to get information in, in all sorts of uh, forms now. 
Um, it almost uh, seems a little funny to think the information we have today, when you get to your doorstep tomorrow morning, I mean, it's, it's already outdated. Um, so we are focusing, uh, making that transformation happen faster. And what that means for people is what we're, what we're talking about, what we're discussing. Uh, we need content creators. We need the writers. We need the artists. We need the photographers. We need everyone understanding what they're what their role in this is. Uh, we have kind of a perfect uh, storm uh, literally happening right now. There's a, a tropical storm in the Gulf today. Uh, and we are have been talking since very early this morning about what the website needs to look like. What, what do we need to provide our readers and customers uh, as, as this happens and as we uh, keep them informed and up to date? And so our website is indispensable in that. So with the website, like, because I imagine that's the crux of your digital, this digital side at the moment. Um, but you've had the website for, I'm sure, like decades at this point. What are the changes that you see or the opportunities you're finding with um, how to accelerate the change with respect to the website? It's understanding how people come to us and when they come to us and what they're looking at when they come to us. We have a meeting every morning where we look at what were the um, most read stories or photo galleries or alternative story form that happened the day before. Uh, and we try to take some lessons from that. Uh, we know that people come for breaking news. And so being very quick, um, quick but correct uh, with our reporting there is absolutely essential for us. Um, so changes we're trying to make is to help people understand uh, what your role is. Um, don't tweet stories without a link that drives that traffic back to our website. I mean, and it's just reinforcing um, our digital best practices uh, so that it's, it's, it's second nature. And then, and then how do we accelerate from there? How do we improve from there? Is it writing more stories or writing stories that get more engagement? So we're in discussions about those things. And with that, like writing more stories versus stories that get more engagement, do you also, when it comes to the engagement side, look at where that engagement has come from? Like, I'm, I'm sure the analytics that you have, you're able to see, okay, how, you know, what percent of readers are in the Houston area or, you know, in Texas more broadly versus U.S. nationally or internationally. How much does that then factor into the evaluation? Um, that has that has some uh, bearing on how we interpret those. Uh, a lot of our readers are uh, within our uh, metro area, within our DMA. Um, some of it, and I cannot quote you a specific percentage, comes from outside our DMA. But um, we know that we're writing mostly for the people who live and work and play in the Houston metro area. So when it comes to that digital evolution, it seems like a lot of the focus is on nuts and bolts and less like, 
okay, what's our TikTok strategy? Or, you know, how do we get an NFT up and running? Or, or are those types of things that you're looking at too? We are looking to engage the readers wherever we can and wherever we can find them and wherever they are. Uh, I like to joke with some of the staff that I have uh, 24 and 22-year-olds and they practically live on TikTok. And so I'm wondering, how do we use those social platforms where our younger potential readers are? How do we engage them? How do we send them back to our website? How do we provide them information where they can come to think of the Houston Chronicle as you know indispensable for them? Over the past year and a half, or in light of the past year and a half, everything from obviously the pandemic, the election, the focus on racial injustice, how has, you know, would, have you seen changes with your readership in terms of what they're looking to the Houston Chronicle for that you're now applying even more so? I wouldn't say applying more so. It's, it's an awareness of what people um, want to get information about. And, and that is, so if we take our um, election coverage, for instance, people wanted to know, you know, what the results were, they're interested in our analysis of that, but they want it to be what they consider fair and balanced. We consider what we do absolutely fair and balanced, but there are readers who, you know, when we cons- when we think about how we're doing this work, we have to make sure that we are thinking of everyone. Um, and and like most probably mainstream um, organizations, we get we get some of our customers, some of our readers who. Uh, believe we have a um, an opinion, a certain slant, uh, an objective, and just uh, reassuring those readers through what we write, how we write it, who we quote, um, the angles we take that we are trying to provide people uh, straight ahead information where they can make some some interpretation of their own. And Houston being a major metropolitan area in a major state like Texas, I imagine especially recently that you're probably getting you know readership spikes from people outside of the Houston or even Texas area because of the abortion ban, all the limits that have been put on voting rights. To what extent um, are you seeing that? And is that something where you then adapt you know, the coverage strategies in any ways, you know, so that people who may not have as much of that local context for things can get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be honest, we have not adapted what we, how we approach those topics with a readership outside of Texas in mind. We know that people are coming to us because uh, we, it, it is amazing this uh, run of news uh, just in the past uh, month or so with what's going on with our legislators and uh, governor. So we know that, that people are coming. Again, we're, we are a regional newspaper a, uh, that covers the city of Houston, uh, the state of Texas, um, and this region. And so our, our focus is on writing for those audiences mostly. And, you know, the nationals come in here. Um, we know the Times, Post, uh, Journal, uh, everybody has a reporter who is who has uh, done those stories. And so for us, we're a local paper. Uh, our customers look to us to interpret what's happening uh, in our state 
in a way that uh, helps them understand uh, not just here, but, you know, putting it into national context um, for those readers too. But mostly, uh, again, we are writing for our local audience. Can I imagine those reporters who are covering these topics the past month has been a lot for them and the past year and a half has been a lot for probably every other reporter in your newsroom, which then brings us to the topic of burnout. Burnout inside all industries, but you know, newsrooms has become a big topic of focus this year. How are you managing the issue of burnout inside the Houston Chronicle? We have a weekly Zoom team meeting. We have a staff meeting. Um, when I got here in November 2019, I think we had occasional staff meetings, but with everybody scattered uh, and working outside of the office, we felt that it was an important gesture to at least once a week have everyone on the same Zoom call uh, where we can go over housekeeping, you know, our return to office um, plans, uh, talk about the good work that's happened in that week, and uh, just gather so that people can at least see each other uh, in squares, in boxes, um, uh, and connect that way. But but I also remind people to, to please take your time off. Please uh, use the vacation you have. Um, Hearst was generous in allotting everyone an extra week of um, time off this year. I want people to use that. Uh, I want people to also reach out. We have uh, an HR department that uh, is responsive when someone says, uh, I think I need some help locating, you know, someone to talk to, you know, their employee assistance plans. We encourage people to please take advantage of those um, and, and talk to your editors, talk to your supervisors, talk to uh, anyone you know that you feel that you can reach out to. So, so we've been trying to manage it by reminding people what resources are available, gathering once a week in our uh, staff meeting, and and also encouraging our uh, assistant editors to uh, just you know keep an eye on your folks, check in on them. A lot of people have been in their apartments and homes for eighteen months now, and um, you know. We want them healthy uh, so that they can keep providing these stories to to our readers in this community. But it's been a lot. (laughs) Yeah, a lot is an understatement, but it's the best we have. Um, With that, with, you know, like taking time off, for example, is that something where you, especially now being executive editor as opposed to being managing editor previously, where you feel you're being more active in, in actually modeling that behavior for people. Cause I can imagine a lot of, you know, journalists get told take time off, but don't feel like they can actually do it or they'll look like they're slacking off if they do it, or if they do it, they're going to like lose a story or whatever reported momentum they may have. Um, am I trying to model that behavior? Yes. Is it actually working? I'll let you know. Um, I took one day off. Uh, since I assumed the role, and that was to uh, go pick my dog up. We had left him in Minnesota because we wanted to get situated here. And so 
uh, went to pick him up. So took a day off, long weekend to do that. Um, and I plan to try around the holidays to uh, take some time off. But, you know, what What I recognize is, A, I really love doing this work. And B, I want to, you know, as I get started, really get my arms around around the role and what I need to do here and get, um, you know, lay some groundwork for how we will proceed um, in 2022. And, and it didn't... It, I'm recognizing now that, you know, that that um, ability to model for for the staff is going to be something that's important that I had not thought of uh, before, you know, becoming an editor. Was there something that happened that kind of brought you to that? I'm just, you know, in in kind of thinking about when I've had um, editors that I work for and thinking about what cues did I take from them? Um, and what, and to be aware that people do watch, your staff is watching. Um, so, you know, an awareness of that, um, there wasn't one thing that happened, but just, you know, if I want people to take their time off, I think I can't say, yes, go take your time off and not do that same thing myself. And you mentioned um, on you know the listening tour you've been on that like transparency has been something that people have been asking for and like there have been other things where you're like noting interest um, from inside the newsroom. I'm curious like whether you've found anything that um, like it feels like we're at something of a generational inflection point inside newsrooms where especially you know there have been a lot of you know cases I feel like over the past year of older journalists saying everything needs to be objective and fair and younger journalists saying, no, I want to be able to write from my experience of what I make of things. Is this something that you're having to figure out at the Houston Chronicle? Absolutely. We had a while ago, and this wasn't under my watch, but under um, uh, Steve Riley, the previous editor, uh, we had uh, tweaked our social media policy. And so, um, a very long staff meeting ensued after that, uh, and just helping people understand that we already are in a position now, and especially in the last four years, where some readers, some customers um, think that we approach the work with, with um, a point of view. And we are already struggling to help people trust us and to have them understand that our work is... Uh, about finding, you know, truth where we can find it. Uh, and so if we have staff uh, who, you know, want to write from a point of view and you're not a columnist, um, we have to say, you know, with, within the confines of your beat, you have to approach it straight on. There, there isn't... Um, there isn't space for you to do that there. Now, what I appreciate about people who feel passionately about certain topics is that passion. So, so they care. They're going to do a great job finding, you know, information for, for people who come to us, for our community, for our readers. Uh, but where I think we have to be careful is in allowing uh, opinion to seep into into, you know, beat coverage and that sort of thing, because we already have, I think, what is a 
a trust issue with uh, some of our readers. And so everything we can do to make sure that we are reassuring people that that we are trying to write uh, and report in a way that covers all the bases um, and that does not come with a preconceived notion of what um, what a story is, I think is something we should do. What were the biggest tweaks that were made um, when they were made to the social media policy? Um, just being clear about, um, you know, what what you're allowed to do. It's social media and ethics policy, so it, it's one. Um, and just updates. I think there were general updates. So what did it say? You could say Black Lives Matter, that that is not a a statement that should cause, you know, anyone to be perceived as having a point of view that. Uh, so that was one of them. Um, and so this was right after um, the Floyd incident when we started to talk about this and take this on. So um, I think that that also influenced, you know, some of the emotions around around that discussion. All right. So a little more than a year ago. But are you already considering changes to that policy or, you know, considering talking to the folks inside your newsroom to see if, you know, I mean, the past year, past year and a half has been a decade. So I imagine even having updated it a year ago, it could already be time to make some more Yeah, tweaks. You know, I have not. I, I don't think we'll go back into it at this point. Uh, I'll need to review it to see if there are things that have happened, you know, just in our past year slash decade that would require us to go back into it. But, you know, because we're part of HERS, it, it would be uh, something that we'd have to involve corporate partners in. As a publication with very much close ties to the community in which you cover, like where having a social media policy or you know, journalists' use of social media, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, what have you, is more impactful or can be more volatile maybe than otherwise because there is that inherent connection between the journalist and the reader. Mm -hmm. I, in the time that I've been here, I haven't seen too many things become volatile. Uh, we have many reporters who have a huge following um, and it's because they cover, you know, uh, government or they cover local uh, politicians or, uh, our business reporters, sports reporters, um, features writers. So, so they have, they have this audience that, you know, when they tweet out a link to our stories or, you know, provide some, some context for a story that they've done or their colleagues, uh, we encourage people to use, you know, social media to um, promote engagement with our content. And so, Primarily, um, that could be uh, something that is innocuous or um, something that uh, is is trying to, you know, uh, incite some some engagement, some emotion there. So, um, but we uh, we haven't had too many occasions where uh, we felt like there was something that was out of bounds. Um, uh, of course, there have been, but those have been few. 
I know we only have a few minutes left, but I want to go back to what you mentioned earlier about the culture desk and, and you know, get a better understanding of what that is. Because I feel like historically you hear about culture desks at publications and it's that's the pop culture, the styles desk. This sounds not that. This is not that. This is, I envision a desk that crosses departments that includes features and Metro and biz where they bring their best ideas about how we can cover communities that we historically may not have or may have covered in a superficial way. Um, we have a Report for America fellow who joined us, and I wanted his beat to be specifically uh, covering communities of color. And so if you know Houston, you know it is uh, super diverse. There is a significant Nigerian community. There's a significant uh, well, obviously a Latino community. Uh, but even within that, you know, there are, you know, South Americans and Central Americans. And, um, and I just want to be sure that when people come to our website or come to our newspaper, that they see themselves reflected somehow uh, in our coverage, that we are not a publication that you could look at and go, well, where is this? Like, I want you to know for sure that you're reading the Houston Chronicle and that we have done our level best to cover our community in a way that is not superficial, that uh, is deep and that has some breadth and meaning to it. And so these will be reporters from Features and Metro uh, and Business uh, and those editors. Okay, so... A desk, but sounds like almost like a floor as much as it is a single. Uh, we're we're going to start small, and we're going to go. see how this. Uh, you know, but I will say that we have done uh, stories, and we we have had coverage where you know we have we have tried to do those things. I just want to make sure that we are being intentional about it, and that especially communities where historically. Either they felt um, not seen by us or or undercovered in some way or oh, we show up when there is a crime or we show up when there's a festival. But, but really, we want to show up uh, all the time and in ways that help people feel like the Chronicle is theirs. You strike me as a really thoughtful leader that you've put a lot of thought into these, you know, just even the first couple of months in your position. Was that something that you kind of said to yourself when you received you know, the appointment? Like, okay, I want to be more thoughtful than that because it feels like, you know, this is, we're talking to you as part of this series about, you know, all kinds of new leaders across newsrooms. And it feels like it, all of these appointments amount to something of a, refresh a restart a giving folks a blank slate but it also from the conversations we've been having so far it sounds like people are being very careful with to what extent they are seizing on that as a blank slate as a fresh start at least off the bat yeah it started even before i got the job it started during the interviews because we're put through you know uh we talked to a lot of people uh we talked to executives as well as groups of reporters. Um, and so the thinking about what what kind of newsroom I wanted and what kind of new, news leader I wanted to be um, started there. I know that our 
one of our main goals is how do we write and how do we cover these communities so that um, they come to us, so that we we are a business that can be sustained um, because we have people who want who want to buy subscriptions because we have done a good enough job of of providing information that they find indispensable. I also understood that you know, being a first, I'm using air quotes here, being a first um, brings with it its own um, sorts of pressures and uh, expectations. And so uh, for me, you know, it's, I did not think of it as a first. I really didn't come to this thinking I'm going to be a, the first person of color to lead the Houston Chronicle. Um but you know, there it is, and so that that is um, part of what who I am now, uh, and so I feel a great sense of responsibility around that. Um, I certainly don't want to disappoint um, anyone or make it harder for the next person. I, I joke with my friends like being a first means failure is not an option at all, and so. You know, what are those things I need to do to make sure our newsroom is progressing, that I've created a culture here where people want to work um, and that we are serving the community. Sounds like you're doing exactly that. So, Maria Reef, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Really enjoyed talking with you. You're welcome. I enjoyed it. Thank you. And thank you for listening to the Digiday Podcast. Please don't forget to share this episode with someone who you think would enjoy it. You can even rate us on Apple Podcasts if you like. And we'll be back next week with another episode.